chasing daylight. Based on the Irvin McManus book, Chasing Daylight, from probably close to 20 years ago. If you want to buy that book, I was just going to say, and follow along, you are more than welcome to do that. It's an awesome book. What I love about it is it's just small. That's, that's my favorite kind of books. But it's small but impactful. Every page seems like there's something there. The only downside of that, I may be plagiarizing, so you, I don't know if you want you reading or not. I may just be preaching right out of that. But no, seriously, we try to give him every, when we can, is, is uh, his due. So, but the passage of Scripture, John chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, uh, is as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This implies urgency. There is time. Daylight is burning. We're chasing daylight. We only have a certain amount of time to get done what we've been asked to get done. And the question is, am I doing what I'm supposed to be getting done? So the first week we talked about choices. We have a choice and we have choices in all kinds of different ways whether to live this out or not. Last week we talked about initiate. And what I love about that, as many of you know, if you've seen me around a while, I, I, I've got a ball in my office, my medicine ball, that I, the, the one thing my medicine ball will not do is just roll over to me and go, let's go. I have to go to it. I have to make a decision to go there. It's not going to force me. It's just going to sit there and sometimes yell out to me. You got to take it. It's not given and it can't be stolen. But it is up to you to initiate. And some of the most critical turns in your life, you can't wait for something else to happen. Now, you, you don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't wait on God. But like I told you last week, there are some things you just need to quit praying about. Because God's already told you. There's no reason to keep praying about it because in this moment, in this window, it's already there. All you're doing now is procrastinating. I believe this. Like the old pastor years ago, the new pastor came to town, and the elders were talking to him after about the third or fourth week, him preaching the same sermon, exact same sermon. They pulled him aside and said, you've got to preach something new. He said, well, I'm not going to preach anything to you. You start living out the one I just preached. There's a lot more wisdom behind that than we actually, all of us, or any of us want to think about. Why would we move on? But this week it's uncertainty. Uncertainty. I talked about this last week. If we're not careful, the very blessings of God now become the anchor that keeps us from moving. It's because it's the things we know. It keeps us from willing to take risk and put it all in for his sake. The McManus statement I used last week said there's a tragic reality that many times the very thing that God blesses us with will become the obstacles to seizing, to seizing our divine moments. We want to paint this picture of what God's going to do with our life. We've got all, we've got all of the strategy. We've been putting money away since we were 25 into our 
401k or our retirement. We've got all these things. We've got this figured out. And I'm just going to tell you, as a believer, as an all-in believer, you don't have the luxury to have it all figured out. You have the luxury to be disciplined. You have the luxury to, to put things away. But you do not have the luxury of saying, God, that's what I want. I've been working for it for 40 years. Then comes this uncertainty. I'm an overthinker. Is there any amens to that? All those who know me, I am the, I don't know if I'm even a classic. I may be beyond a classic overthinker. Like on steroid overthinker. I can find situations that you go, how did, where did you come up with that? And in the right circumstances, it's beneficial. Most of the time, it's just abusive to me and people around me. But what can happen with that overthinking is it paralyzes you. You end up not doing anything. Matter of fact, and what, what, what really deceives us is we think we're not doing anything, and the reality is we're going backwards. That, that's what's happening. Because one of the things of, of, of whether it's ourselves or the enemy is to think that I can think about it. And matter of fact, often if we talk about it enough that we're going to do it someday, we think we're making progress when the reality is we're just digging the hole deeper. Because we're waiting for that guarantee. We're waiting for that certainty. So if I move, it's going to work. Reality is, all of us, whether we, you're here today as a believer in Jesus Christ or not, or a follower, or, or you've kind of in, in, in the middle and you're kind of following God, but you can do something else, or what, wherever you are on the spectrum, we all deal with uncertainty. That's, 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 we all deal with that. So there's not anybody in here that's like, oh, this sermon's not for me. We all deal with uncertainty. But I will say the difference for Christians is this. In this sense, is that often with uncertainty, we're asked to follow God with all of our heart, and there's no, the answers are not there. There's a partial, there's an impulse, there's a, there's, a, there's a nudging, there's a, and I hate to say feeling, but there is something happening in, 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 your, in your prayer time. And you know it's there, so Christians take uncertainty to a different level who are all in with Christ, I believe. So today we're going to camp in 1 Samuel 14. I'm going to read more scripture today than I have in the last month at one time, okay? What I mean is all combined. This is going to be a lot today. But I think it's important that we read this passage of scripture to get a feel for what this is about. And it's really about, and we're going to go to 1 Samuel 14. We'll read a little bit in 13. But we're going to talk about Jonathan. Now, most of you know, or if you don't, if you, from just a set reason, I want to do a little bit of backdrop here. The rest of this may not make sense. Now, Jonathan is the son of King Saul, but maybe he's most remembered by befriending the soon-to-be king, King David. But Jonathan was also known as a tremendous soldier. He was, he was known for a lot of other things than just being Saul's son or David's best friend, if you will. And so the part of the way this story unfolds, and we're going to just kind of walk our way through it before we get to reading this passage of Scripture, 
is the Israel, Israel army is hiding among the caves of Gibeah and are having, they've been, they, they, they've been defeated by the Philistines. Now the, Israel, the Israelites had defeated the Amorites. Jonathan had f- defeated some Philistines and they were kind of feeling a little puffy about themselves, okay? The best way I know to say it. So Saul foolishly declares war against the Philistines. And scripture says in verse, and we don't have it up here, but Samuel 13, 5, 1 Samuel 13, 5, the Philistines were as numerous as the sand. And in verse, verse 7 there, though, it says Saul's soldiers knew they were overmatched and they quaked with fear. That's a, not a good thing when you're going into battle. So out of Saul's arrogance, maybe impatience, or his disobedience for sure, he decides to go into battle against this superior army that, again, is more numerous than the sands and gets wiped out. He should have waited for Samuel. He does not. He moves on in without seeking, without knowing, without being blessed. Samuel arrives. The prophet, he ends up, Samuel ends up there, and he, and he says to him in verse 13, 4, After he had already made this offering, after Saul had already made this offering, Samuel rebukes him saying, you have not kept the command of the Lord. Your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And so the army retreats to the caves in Gibeah. And while they were hiding, the Philistines are raiding the villages and towns around. There's a story for a different day there. When you go hiding... When you should be fighting, people are paying a price. Church. But that's a sermon for another day. 1 Samuel 13, we're going to do 22, 23, and then we're going to read a lot. Okay, so hang with me. Here's what's going to be fun for you. I'm going to fake like I know these names. And you're going to get to see if, you actually, if I actually got them right. Okay. And you can talk to me about it later, okay? So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day, Jonathan, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was saying, staying on the outskirts of Gibeah and under a pomegranate tree in, 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 in Migron. With him were about 600. Among them it was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. How am I doing so far? You don't know, do you? Am I faking it good? I hope so. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other was Sinai. Sinai. One cliff stood towards the north, uh, towards Michmash, the other to the south towards Gabah. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on. Then we will cross over towards them 
and, and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistines' outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. So they already had a reputation, right? The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. Famous last words. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed, and, and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. That's pretty specific. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and raiding parties, and the ground shook, and it was panic set in by God. It was a panic set in by Jonathan and his armor bearer. No, it was a panic set in by God. Saul's so lookout at uh, Gabeah, I'm now messing up. In Benjamin, saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who is left. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. Because at that time it was with the Israelites. While Saul was take, talking to the priest, the tumult of the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Paul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. The Hebrews had, been, had previously been with the Philistines, had gone up with them to their camp, went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard the Philistines were on the run, isn't this like it? Late adopters, okay? When they heard it was working, I'm in. <laughs> but at least they showed up, right? They joined the battle in hot pursuit. On that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on to Beth Aven. You are welcome, okay? Out of the whole army, Two swords remained. Two swords. And the soldiers ended up with farm tools, basically, to go fight. But if you think about them at that point, they're, they're defeated, they're depressed, they're discouraged. Am I describing anybody in here? Because I've been there before. It's recent than I even want to talk about. You feel defeated. You feel discouraged. But what did Jonathan do? Which is, I think he, we're going to learn a lesson here today. I hope it's helpful to all of us. Basically what Jonathan says in the middle of being in the cave, let's go look for God. Because it reminds me of Henry Blackaby's experiencing God. One of the things about that, if you've ever done that study, one of the things he says is, look where God is working and join him. Go looking for God. Hey, Gertie, he's everywhere. I get that. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not preaching heresy here. What I'm saying is go look where he's working and join him. Jonathan goes looking for trouble. 
you can get yourself in trouble by going and looking for trouble. One of the things I also believe is when you've made a decision to try to be in God's will, there's probably trouble there. When I look at the Apostle Paul, it doesn't say there was a riot and Paul showed up. It says Paul showed up and there was a riot. And what do you do with that? I think it's, again, McManus that says this. He says, being in the center of God's will, he said, being outside the center of God's will is not a safe, it's not a safe place. Being inside the center of God's will is not a safe place. But being inside of God's will makes you dangerous, though. Ain't nothing about it safe, probably, but it does make you dangerous. So if you're trying to be in the center of God's will and be secure and nothing ever happened and not, the fight just goes away, yeah, you, you don't want that because you won't, well, you don't need to think that because you won't get that. Matter of fact, the fight may be greater. But he states here, and again, I want to make sure you understand this. He he says, John is is saying, I will not fight, though, unless the Lord gives them into our hand. I'm going to go find out. I'm going to go test it. I'm going to go push it a little bit. I'm not going to stay here hiding any longer. But he understands, in order for me to fight this fight and the the enemy to be defeated, I've got a role in this. I can't just stay here in in the cave and expect God to defeat the enemy on the mountain. I'm convinced that Jonathan right here was saying, God may not even be with us in the cave. But I'm going to go look for him. Psalm 121, many of you know this. I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of the heaven and earth. In verse 6, Jonathan tells his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps. And I don't think Jonathan is saying here that he's doubting God. I think more than anything, it's just my simple mind, and I I may not be right about this. But I believe what he's saying is, if this happens, it won't be in our might. If this works, it will be all God. And I don't believe Jonathan here is on a suicide mission. He's not on a kamikaze mission. He's not on that kind of thing going, I'm just going to go and be a martyr. That's not what I won't think Jonathan's doing. He's just, he's not choosing to be that. But what he is choosing this day is how he's going to live. He's not choosing how he's going to die. He's choosing how he's going to live. And that's different, folks. That's different. Well, you see groups forever committing suicide and martyring and doing those. That's not what this is. This is making a decision one day, this is how I'm going to live. Art McManus says, 
we need to realize that God may actually allow an increase in uncertainty and leverage all the odds against you so that you will know in the end that it wasn't your gift but his power through your gifts that fulfilled his purpose in your life. Because you may be like the armor bearer. You're waking from a deep sleep. Jonathan tells you your plan, his plan. And you go, you know what? When you know, instead of perhaps, let me know. And I'll roll with you, man. But he doesn't. When we moved to renovation 12 years ago, I was 52 years old. And there was an unbelievable amount of uncertainty. And the only people I knew that were going to show up with me that day, for sure, and it's because legally she's obligated, was Jan. I'm not even sure she's legally obligated to show up at church, but she was legally obligated to stay with me, I think, at that point. And there's some of you who've been with us from day one and you made that step too. Obviously, Josiah, at that point, leaving without a job, anything to come over here and help us as our armor bearer, if you will. Because he knows enough conversations. I don't know, man. I have no clue. He told me at the time, which has changed, obviously, over time, and you've heard me quote, quote, and this is a direct quote. He told me there's a greater chance of Jan leaving you before I do. Now, I don't know if that was a judgment on mine and Jan's marriage. (laughs) Don't think so. Of course, now he's married with children. That may not be true anymore. (laughs) When was the last time you had to live with such uncertainty because God has brought you to a point of living there? Some of you have been saved too long. Some of you got way too much money. You've got securities. You've got all kinds of different things. I don't know why I could go down a list of things that they've got way too much of if, if, if it's keeping you from this. Where he's asking you, will you trust me without knowing? Will you push everything into the middle of the table? Well, Kurt, I've got this career. Will you push everything into the middle of the table? I've got this retirement plan. Will you push everything into the middle of the table? Not knowing. And I know some of you are already going, man, I wish they had done baby dedication another Sunday. Or I wish I'd have showed up because I do believe that's the question. We go so long in our walk. I don't mean we live there all the time, but for you to think that somewhere along the way you outgrow that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you haven't read this thing. It's constant. And I don't mean constant in the sense that every day I'm like, oh, I don't know what I got with it. But he'll let you go to one place, then he'll go, okay. Will you push it all in the middle of the table again? Because we talk about Acts 13, 36 with, with King David. 
David served God's purpose in his own generation. Then he died. I hope I die the moment my purpose is fulfilled. No later. No earlier. But when? For your decision, for your decision so big is all based on you trusting God. And obviously, and I talked about it last week, obviously there are times where you move and you make a decision, a big decision, and you look up and go, ooh, in hindsight, I may have missed something. Even in the moment when I did it, I was unsure. I was disturbed a little bit. I made a decision that cost me. But I've been thinking this this week because this has not been the way I've been thinking for the last four months. And maybe those decisions I have made, we have made, maybe those decisions, yeah, they were wrong But it's not all a wash. It's not all lost. Because that's not the God we serve. He redeems. I sought God's face. We sought God's face. We sought his direction. We sought his wisdom. We sought his favor. But you landed in a place where many have landed for centuries. Perhaps the Lord will act on your behalf. But even in those decisions, even if they seem wrong now, and maybe they are, you trusted, you went with uncertainty, with the hope of honoring God. Did you pay a price? Possibly. But maybe it was worth it. Because if we believe that our life is based on certainty, we won't have much of an adventurous life. Because the quest for certainty gets in the path, it blocks us from following after God with all of our heart. Uncertainty, in many ways, is the gateway to following after God. We serve a supernatural God. I heard this the other day. In order for God to put his super on your natural, he expects you to get your natural straightened out. But we can't do it without his super. So there's this partnership to walk in supernatural power. But the great thing is we serve a supernatural God. And you don't know what he's up to right now. You don't know the things that are coming together. You don't know that that one day you stepped through something and it's different than it was the day before. I'm not promising you that, but what I can say, you will have to live this Christian life with uncertainty. Irving Manson goes on to say in this book, he said, our wealth and our abundance of human resources have positioned us to accept a paradigm that provision precedes vision. This has been the foundation of a no-risk, fear-based, apathetic faith. And finances, I'll I'll talk to you about that. Don't don't hesitate at all. Talk to about giving here at this church. Like for Jan and I. That was one of our primary ways, tithing was one of our first primary ways of telling God he was first. 
And I don't think you can, and you're going to argue with me, fine. I don't think you can tell God is first without that being part of it. You can tell him it's part of the plan, part of your portfolio, but it's not first. Okay. That's where you want to be. That's okay. Does, Does it mean giving before you know you have enough? Amen, Jen? One thing I understood early in my faith growth, I was going to try to give the best conditions to to do what only God could do, and I knew one of those was to be as obedient as I could in the things I understood, and I wanted to show him how grateful I was. And let me tell you this. What Christ did for me, I've never gotten over it. Maybe you have. I hope not. What he has brought you from. Because I believe there's a direct correlation between our faith and the way we handle money. I love what Martin Luther says. He says there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, mind, and the first. God, I'm going to give you the first and trust you to redeem the rest. And it always requires faith and uncertainty in so many people ways. Some of, for some of you, it doesn't require uncertainty, but for some, it does. Matter of fact, for a lot, it does. They give to this church. I guarantee you, it brings uncertainty. And I'm grateful for those people who support this church at its fullest level. But I will say this this is the greatest uncertainty in 12 years of ministry for the finances of this church. There's no question about that, by far but we move forward. Uncertainty. 2004, I was Mercy Project pastor at Crossroads. I was a youth pastor. I was, I was an executive pastor. I was teaching pastor, a mixture of a lot of different things, overseeing different things. But one of the things God had put on my heart was to partner with a place in the world, which we had not been doing as a church in the Church of the Nazarene. Normally, we would send a work and witness team here, then we'd send one over there, and we'd send one over there. Different years, kind of depend on where... Let me, let me say this right away. I started to say, kind of depend on where we want to go on vacation. But that wouldn't have come out right, would it? So I'm not going to say that. But it had a little bit to do with it. Let's just, where, where's something going on right now? So I'm going to go do that. Because I never got to go there. But then you don't go back again. And again, I've been on a lot of those, and I don't want to minimize those, so be sure, know that I'm semi-joking on that. But the Lord put it on my heart at at, at Crossroads there in Chandler that we needed to partner, not just come in, come out, but we're going to partner medically with youth, with construction and supplies. We're going to partner with them for an eight- to ten-year term where we keep coming back and building and building and building. There's only a few churches there at the time in the, in the country that got, and I won't tell you how we ended up there, but we ended up par- partnering with the country of Armenia. Now, many of you may know where Armenia, it's the southernmost, uh, furthest, you got that slide? Yeah, you do. No. Oh, that's going to be, there you go. Decide, do we have them? Because this is going to be, do we not have them? Okay, well, that's a, that's, that's a bummer. Because it was in my notes. Yeah. Let me tell you a little more about it. Armenia is the southernmost point, point of, of, uh, of the former Soviet Union. 
We were one of the first youth groups to go into the Soviet Union after in 2004 from the Church of the Nazarene. It's surrounded by Azerbaijan, Georgia, Turkey, and Iran. Open border with Iran. And I was, the Lord laid it on our hearts to take a team of youth, 30 of us and adults, to go there. And we worked on this for months and months and months. And sure, there's a lot of things you're uncertain about, like all the travel and all the things you, you're uncertain about that. You can see Armenia there. Uh, but you're, you're uncertain about those kind of things. But about two weeks before we were going, I'm, I'm, I'm just wake up in the middle of the night. And at that time in 2004, because we were open border with Iran, Iraq's just on the other side of it. There were people being kidnapped and beheaded and things of that nature. It was, it was on the news all the time. And, and, I, and, and, you know, I got that in my head and I wake up in the middle of the night and uh, goes, what if these kids are kidnapped? All my kids were going, all these other people's kids are going, adults, what if you get kidnapped? Because again, it's an open border with Iran at the time, or still is. Two weeks, I mean, two days, this is just panic all over me going, what have I done? What have I done? I've taken kids across inner city in the U.S., just about every major city, not every, but a lot of major cities. We've been in some unique situations over the years, but this one was different. I was out running on South Mountain, and, uh, down by South Mountain, and I'm just running, and, and, and I'm just going, Lord, you know, what have I gotten myself into? And as I'm running, the Lord, the, I feel like it was the Holy Spirit you can argue with if you want to. The Holy Spirit says, what if, what if they kidnap you? Will you still praise me? And I just said out loud as I'm running, you know it, we would, Lord. And it was like I was, it was broken. Sure, there's uncertainty at times, but uncertainty, if you have to be certain, there's things you're never going to do. Now, there's, there was just a few churches out. Now, they're in their own district. They're sending people to, to different, they're sending missionaries themselves to different countries. There's 20 or 30 something, I think almost 30 churches there. So now you look at it and go, but what if? Then we sent medical teams, construction teams, supplies. You'll see seven of our, there's about, See, part of our crew there, my family, Josiah back there in the corner with his glasses and goatee. <laughs> what would our life would have been if we'd have waited on certainty? And Lord, I, I want to live that way. I want to live like I did in my 40s. Because when I'm in my 60s, I want more certainty. But maybe not. Maybe I'm just hitting my stride. Maybe he's going to give me the spirit of Caleb. Or 20 more years from now, when I'm in my 80s, give me my mountain. I don't know. Lots of uncertainty. Who you marry, you don't know what it's going to be like. There's a huge part of uncertainty. I would recommend this, marry an armor bearer. Marry someone that will say, perhaps, when you say to them, perhaps the Lord is with us. And they say, wherever you're going, I'm going. 
And you have children. Uncertainty. When you bring them, who are they going to be? What are they? You see them here today, but who are they going to be? Are they going to follow after him or are they not? You talk about uncertainty. Wait till some young man comes along and asks for one of, those, one of our three daughters' uh, hand in marriage. You talk about uncertainty. Still not certain. No, I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> Two of them sitting right here. But see, one thing I can be certain of, and Jan and I together can be certain of, is that we can live a life as followers of Jesus Christ so much in front of them that if they choose to turn away from God at some point, they will at least know what they were turning away from. Oh, sure, a life of uncertainty, but a life of adventure. A life of, of, of impact. I can't decide if my child will or will not, but what I can decide is how I'm going to live it in front of them. When was the last time you had to live with an uncertainty because God has brought you to a point of living there? He is asking you, will you trust me without knowing? Will you push everything into the middle of the table? And I think Jonathan came to a point where the cost of moving forward cost of staying where you are is even greater. God's not in the cave. He's on the mountain. That's Josiah and then come on up. Where's Josiah? We lost Josiah. Josiah, why don't you come on back? Josiah sent us a song this week, and it's called Build an Altar. You can look it up, Vertical Worship. It's an awesome song. You'll be hearing it soon to a church near you. It says, build an altar. Drench it with water. Stand back and wonder. He'll set it on fire. Wherever you are right now, you're there that God can show his power. And I love the Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. The person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. You don't have the discernment to know what's prosperous and not. You may think one thing is more prosperous and you look at it, well, that's prosperous, and you realize that very one may be a curse to some degree. And you look at this go, oh, shoot, man, that's bad. That very well may be where you're prospering. They will dwell in the parched places in the desert, amen. In the salt land where no one lives. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence, in other words, confidence, the refuge, your security is in him. 
They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. Are you a cave hider or a mountain climber? When was the last time you just pushed it in the middle of the table? Or I don't know. I don't know, Lord. But I know this. If I understand it, and all I get is a perhaps, I'm going to do the best I can to walk in it. That's all I got. Here's the great thing. That's all he's asking. That's all he's asking. Would you stand with me? We'll sing a song. We'll let Josiah pick one of two, <laughs> whichever one you want to do. It is so difficult in the world we live in today. 2024 is going to be a year of uncertainty. But there are some things that are certain. Cling on to those because you have a choice. Then walk with uncertainty about what God's going to do with your life. Well, he'll give you hints here and there. Those are taken uncommon. We're going to give you, you're going to find some hints. You're going to find some signposts along the way to go, hey, go here, go there. It won't be a hard answer, and that maybe it will be. But I'm going to guess wherever you're going, if God's calling you to that task, there will be some uncertainty. That's okay. Wouldn't want to live any other way. Lord, help us right now as we close this service. Lord, we hope we don't close it in a way that just ends, but we close it in a way that of an anthem, of a commitment, of a hope that we can be people They're not paralyzed waiting for certainty. They're not a guarantee, even though, Lord, those are good, and we appreciate those. So, Lord, what I'm preaching today, I I want some guarantees along the way. So, Lord, don't don't misunderstand that. But, Lord, I also know that I will get paralyzed in me chasing after you if I wait solely for those. So, Lord, help us today. Even in things we've sought that may have not gone the way we hoped. Lord, maybe shed a little bit of light there, but you sought and you would tell us, you sought me though. You asked for my favor. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted, but you did it with the heart of honoring me. So it's not all a loss. But we love you today. Thank you for this opportunity to be in this room with these folks. And it may be the only time we see most, some of them, Lord. I pray that this has been a blessing. In your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Sing with us. We'll close.